Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor, and really glad that you have joined us. And if you've been with us for the last several episodes, we've been just kind of been doing a deep dive into a lot of theological issues, systematic theology, just kind of the things, first, first and foremost, things that are kind of essential that we must believe in order to be a Christian, kind of then the, the foundational things that are important for our growth and Kind of, you know, and then there's also just things that are just kind of important to understand, but we've been really spending most of our time just on these things, these kind of these most critical issues. And if you've been around with us, we, you know, several episodes back, we talked about the the um, substitutionary atonement, that what salvation really is. What does it mean when we say that um, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins? That we believe is that because of our sin, we are in a bad situation with God, we, we, you know, we have to pay a price. We, we owe a penalty and that Jesus as a substitute pays that for us. He atones our debt and he does it as a substitute. He does it in our place. And that the idea of understanding that is really essential to what it means to become a Christian. And then uh, in our last episode, we talked about that, that, that idea that, that this salvation that Jesus dying for us is a free gift. It is completely by grace. It's not by works. It's by faith. We receive it by faith. It is a free gift and it's not based on any good works that we do before. It's not based on any good things that we do um, after the fact. We don't have to do good works in order to earn it. And we don't have to do good works after the fact to pay it back. That the good works that we do are things that God has created us to do. And we do them out of a love for him but not it is not as a requirement to pay for salvation, either on the front end or on the back end. And so you start talking about this enough and you say, okay, this is what it means that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Or you start um, talking about you know, that it's completely free. It's not based on what you do. And inevitably the question will come up, well, okay, if, if you don't earn it, but can you lose it? Can you lose your salvation? It is a free gift. If it is a gift given by God, is it a gift then that can be taken away? And I would like to suggest that just, let's just think about this logically for a second. If, um, if, if I give you a free gift and I take it back because later I decide you don't deserve it, it never really was a free gift. It was a conditional gift. It is, a, it is a gift that you, again, that you have to earn on the back end. Maybe you didn't do have to do anything on the front end to earn it, but if you don't do good things on the back end, I will revoke it. Or maybe people will think that there is something that you can do, like I can receive the gift, and then at some point I can give it back. Do, is there some sense in which once this gift becomes mine, that either it can be taken from me, or I can return it where this gift is no longer mine. And I think that this is a really important issue for us to resolve. And it gets, it gets phrased different ways depending on what tradition that you come from. And in the, in the, in the tradition that I came from, the, the issue was referred to as once saved, always saved. And you, do you believe that you're once saved, always saved? And so essentially that, hey, once you become a Christian— you're you're in forever. Um, in Calvinism, it is referred to as the perseverance of the saints, essentially with the idea that if you are a saint and you are someone who has salvation, you will persevere. 
that is a characteristic, a characteristic of people who have genuinely received Christ is their perseverance. If they don't persevere, then they are not saints, never were saints. You don't become a saint and not persevere. Saints, by definition, persevere. And so it's just a a different angle on essentially the same issue, once saved, always saved. You know, that once you become a Christian, you are a Christian. And so I think that there is a primary passage for us to look at to kind of really help us understand this question. Because there are some passages in Galatians where a phrase gets used, fallen from grace. There's a passage in James. There's a passage in Hebrews that kind of say weird, confusing things in the midst of talking about something else. But there is a primary passage where Paul is addressing the question of what happens to someone who is a Christian. Is it possible then for someone to, to lose their salvation? And basically, he is asking the question, um, is it, you know, once you are God's, is there something bad that can happen to you? Can you, can you no longer be there? I mean, the, at one point in this passage we'll look at, he'll ask the question, what can separate us from the love of God? Once you have the love of God, is there something that can separate you? And so we're going to look at this passage in Romans chapter 8, and we'll start, we'll start in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I just started there because that's just a highly misunderstood verse, but it just really is, you know, it, it doesn't say that everything that happens to a Christian is good. You just need to make sure that you understand that. And it doesn't say that God's going to take something bad and make it good. It just says that God is working for good. Even when really bad things happen, you have to know that God is out there working for good. He is working for good. He is working for your good. He's working for you to be good. He is working for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So I'm going to bore you here a little bit here with this with this passage, and we'll talk a little bit. Of, we'll do a little bit of math, and we're going to call we'll call it set theory, right? Because what we have here in this picture is he says that there are some that those he foreknew. There are some that God foreknew that he knew that there would be some people that would be his, and he foreknew that these people would be his. And it says that those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this is not a, a statement about predestination. What you believe about predestination at this point is not relevant to this particular podcast. But for our purposes, there are those he foreknew, and those that he foreknew, he predestined that they would become conformed to the image of his son. He knew that there were some people out there, and so that he made sure that, hey, those that I know that are going to be mine— I am, it is their destiny that they become like my son, so that he might be the first among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we have this group of people that he has said are going to be predestined. They are going to be conformed to the image of his son. And so those that are in that group, it says he also called. And the ones that he called to say, hey, I want you to be my son. 
want you to be my daughter. He says, those that he called are also the ones that he justified. And the ones that he justified, he also glorified. Justified meaning for our purpose was saving, saved, made right, made right with God and glorified. Essentially for shorthand, we'll just say it means going to heaven, made perfect in heaven. What he's saying here is that everybody who is in the predestination set is also in the called set. Everyone who's in the called set is in the justified set. And everyone who's in the justified set is in the glorified set. Everyone who does this also does this. And so there's, it's really important. There's, there's no point along the way where he says, and those he predestined, most of them he called. And most of those he called will be justified. And a good number of those he justified will also be glorified. Essentially, every group, the predestined, the called, the justified, and the glorified, they're all the same group. There's no one, there's no one that falls out of that group. If you are in one of those groups, you are in all of those groups. The justified are also the glorified. If you are saved, if you are made right, you are also glorified. So here's a really mediocre illustration for you. If I were to say, everyone who comes to my house for dinner gets dessert. So if you are at the house for dessert, if you're at the house for dinner, you get dessert, everyone. So it doesn't matter whether or not you you eat vegetables. doesn't matter if you eat any of your regular food. All you have, if you're in the house, you will get dessert. So everyone in the house gets dessert. But I could also say everyone who eats all their food gets dessert. So in that instance, there are people who would come to the house, get served dinner, don't eat their dinner, that then don't get dessert. There's There's an if to it. If you do this, you will get this. But if you come to my house, you get dessert. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what happens. This will happen as opposed to there being some conditional clause for it. Those he justified, he also glorified if no, no if. The ones that are saved will be glorified. And just in case you think that I'm making too much of it, Paul gets on a roll here and keeps talking about it. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Basically, what he's saying is, once you are gods, you are gods forever. You cannot get lost. You will stay in the exact, the, the, again, these sets are the exact same. Once you are in, you are in forever. What shall we say in response to this? Well, here's what you say. If God's for us, who can be against us? If it's true that there is nothing that can happen to you, you are on God's team forever, no matter what, then, then who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Like he gave his son to give you life. He sacrificed that. Why would he stop somewhere along the way and hold back some other part of the gift? I've already given my son for you. Why would I not also give you eternal life? Why would I not also allow you to finish this process and be with me forever? I have already sacrificed my son for you. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. There is, no, there is no one that can bring a charge against you because God is the one that justified you. God's the one that put you in the group. 
So who can condemn? Nobody. Because Jesus is the one that died, and he's at the right hand of God on your team interceding for you. And once you're on his team, you can't be taken off his team. Yeah, now we got some some more rhetorical questions here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Essentially here to this point, in this point, it's like say, there, there's, no, there's no external circumstances. There's thing, we, things get so bad that you, God gives up on you or you don't get persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Yeah, no matter what dangerous or difficult or trial or circumstance you find yourself in, you will not be lost. God is on your team and there's nothing that the bad guys can do to you that can make you lose your salvation. You do not become so because you have been persecuted, because you are experiencing a hard time, because bad things are happening to you, that is not the same thing as being separated from the love of God. God's not going to abandon you. He's made it very clear. No matter once you are in, you are with him for always, and there are no bad circumstances that can separate you from God. And again, you're like, well, I mean, I know obviously God's not going to give up on you in a bad circumstance. I believe that. But what about sin? What about this? What about you know, you 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 become so bad. It's not about bad things happening to be you. It's you do the bad things. Verse 36, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Essentially saying, hey, we've been through some really bad things and we know that God is on our team. And we know then in all these things, we're more than conquerors. He loves us. We're, we're going to overcome this because he has promised. But then he expands the thought even further in verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So essentially, he makes an exa- as an exhaustive list as possible to say of all the things that are not capable of separating you from the love of God. We've already established that God himself is not going to separate you from his love. Is there something, is there anything out there that can separate you from the love of God? Well, first, for I am convinced that neither death nor life can separate us from the other God. So um, nothing that is dead, nothing that happens in death, or nothing that happens in life can separate you from the love of God. So there's nothing, there's nothing uh, in this life or nothing in death that can separate you from the love of God. So what does that leave? If, if it can't happen in life and it can't happen to death, what does that leave? Well, because it leaves one thing. It leaves zombies. So theoretically, if we're going to make a, an exemption here, maybe maybe a zombie could. But let's just keep going. Neither angels nor demons, nor the present, nor the future. So we've already established God, God forgives you. There's nothing in your past. But there's also nothing that can happen in the present that can separate you from God. So there's nothing that also in the future. So nothing that happens now or nothing that happens in the future. So we've got this zombie. Maybe the zombie can, but the zombie can't be in the present or the future. So we've got a zombie who exists in a time vortex. You've got a zombie that exists in a time vortex. Maybe he could. Nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. There is nothing that has been created that can separate you from the love of God. 
So now the only thing that we are left with that could theoretically separate you from the love of God is an eternal zombie that exists in a time vortex. And so unless you believe in the existence of that, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God because it's either dead or alive. It's either exists in the present or in the future. And it must have been created because we've already established that God is not going to separate himself from you. And so there is nothing that can separate you because everything is either dead or alive is in the present or in the future. And it was created nor anything else in all creation. And this is what people say, well, can I give the gift back? Well, can you, would either need to be in the present or in the future, and you either need to be dead or alive to do it, and you would have to be something that's not created. But you are, in fact, someone who is created, that exists in the present and in the future, and are currently alive, and then ultimately will be dead. And at no point during any of that time, in any of those circumstances, can someone who has been created do that thing to you, including you. There is no exemption for that. You have to want there to be an exemption to that. You have to say, so, I don't know, but that's talking about any, anything, else other, anything else other than you is what it's saying. No, no, no. There, there is no exemption here because, well, I might decide I don't want to follow God anymore. Well, that's life. Sometimes that happens in life, but life can't separate you from God. And that will, hap- that will theoretically happen in the future. And in the future, that, the future nothing, that, nothing that's going to happen in the future can separate you from God. Even if you want to make some exemption that you yourself are not referred to as anything else in all creation, the things that you're talking about, the fears that you might have of how you might lose your salvation or you might give up on God or God gives up on you in some way, you're saying there's nothing in life. And those kinds of circumstances happen in life. And those things would theoretically happen in the future. And he's saying that there's nothing in this life or in your future that can separate you from the love of God. And so I find that the most often response uh, that, that I get to this is what I've now just kind of referred to as Uncle Joe. And it's amazing how many people have Uncle Joe's and how the Uncle Joe has a very similar story. Oh, so, uh, so, oh, so Uncle Joe, man. You know what, my Uncle Joe, man, I just Uncle Joe, man, he was, a, he was a Sunday school teacher and he was married and he raised his kids and he was a good Christian. And then just one day he decided he was an atheist and he ran off with the secretary. You saying he's still a Christian? And the easiest response to that is, I don't know your Uncle Joe. Don't know him, never did know him. I'm not going to say I don't want to know him, but I don't know him. I don't know anything about his circumstance. It's not up for me to know the ins and outs of whether or not he was a Oh, you can't say he wasn't a Christian. He went to church every week and he was in Sunday school. He was a teacher. He did all these good things and he was a good family man. Man, lots of people can pretend for a really, really long time. Well, he wasn't pretending. It was a genuine. He made a genuine faith. Well, if he made a genuine statement of faith and he genuinely was justified, then, then he's he is definitely fallen away, but that's not the same thing as he's lost his salvation. Well, he doesn't even believe anymore. Well, so you say, I mean, at some point, one of those two things was disingenuous. And again, we cannot base what we believe based on your anecdotal approach to one particular person's story, which is why most people will prefer now to use the more Calvinistic phrase, perseverance of the saints, versus the more traditional, say, Southern Baptist expression, once saved, always saved. Because once saved, always saved almost feels like a gimmick. Like if I can just trick God into something and go and if I can go and profess faith, then somehow I'll get in the club. And then once I'm in the club, I can do whatever I want and they can't kick me out of the club. That's not 
that's that's just that's just bad philosophically. Even if we say you can't lose your salvation, that idea is is a is a bad one because I think honestly that points to j- disingenuous professions of faith, and maybe in fact at times may lead to some disingenuous professions of faith. But perseverance of the saints is very different. A characteristic of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is someone who will persevere. You, God will never give up on you, and you won't give up on God. And if, and if in fact, there is some Uncle Joe out there somewhere, then one of two things is true. You can fake being a Christian for a lot longer and a lot better than a lot of people can, or God endures a lot of rebellion amongst people who are his. And I think that there is plenty of evidence both in the people that we interact with and it really, honestly, there's evidence in Scripture of both of those kinds of people. People who are really, really good at faking, like Judas, or people who um, make really, really bad decisions for long periods of time and God never gives up on, like essentially all of the Bible characters. And I think, again, I think the prodigal son story is relevant here too. A God, a father who never, never gives up on his son and is always looking for him to be back. Oh, but but what 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 if what if the son had died with those pigs? I'm like again, we 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 don't we don't we don't base our theology based on the hypothetical scenarios that happen in parables. We base our theology based on clear teachings of Scripture. And Romans eight again very clearly could not say it more clear. It would not be possible for Paul to say this more clearly when he says that there is nothing in this life or the next, nothing in your present or your future that can separate you from the love of God. And and while some people may hear that and think, I've got a blank check then to do whatever I want, I think the very normal response that we have to an undying, unchanging love of God is more and more worship. And so, while there may be some people, again, who are crafty enough to think that somehow that this is an excuse for really bad behavior, it is in fact meant as the opposite and will elicit in God's people the opposite response. How beautiful and amazing is this love from God that there is nothing that can happen in this life or the next, in my present or in my future, that will ever possibly separate me from the love of God that I have in Jesus Christ. And so, um, I know that this is actually a controversial topic. People are like really like to argue about it, and there's lots of traditions out there that talk about how you can lose your salvation and will point to different verses and passages. But I decided several years ago I was no longer going to treat this as if this was a controversial issue with multiple sides to it. I'm just going to drop the hammer of what Romans 8 says, and just that's it. This is what, this is what the Bible teaches. And um, again— um, there are there are other verses that are really weird and confusing that people like to use to say to that that counter this, but this is clear. This is a clear logical and spiritual argument that is Paul is making that has absolutely no loopholes to it. And so, if there is some verse in James or in Hebrews or in Galatians that make you think something different than this, you are misunderstanding that verse because this verse, this passage has no loopholes and has absolutely absolute clarity and is very direct and is on the topic of what can separate us from the love of God and the answer that is given over and over and over again is nothing
So again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part of our podcast. We're kind of walking through systematic theology. Thanks for being with us. And we would love to connect with you on a Sunday as well. So you can find us at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And you can find us. Uh, we'd love to see you um, on a Sunday morning. Um, but if that's not possible for you because where you live or whatever, um, we stream our 1030 service every week and you can join us online. So whether or not it's in person or online, we would love to connect with you, help you in any way that we can. So please find us there at thegrovechurch.org slash connect and let us know um, any way that we can help you or serve you. Again, Charlie, the lead pastor there. Thanks for joining us.